0: That's a terrible thing to have happen. I'm so sorry about that. Um, it's just so, it's such a terrible thing to have happen. It's hard to talk about when it doesn't work. So I have to like, sit with that for a moment. But um, I think about a lot when when I talk about prayer, Um, we don't use the word prayer here very much. We say let's do metta for people, but it's prayer. Um, (laughs) It's just a little bit of a problem about the P word that we need to get over here. But uh, um, I think when we talk about what, what does it mean that prayer works is what I think about a lot. Because a lot of times I pray for things that don't happen, you know, that someone should get better and they don't, or they should be found alive and they're not, or they should recover. And so I have, uh, from my own criteria, it's not... Uh, that's why I'm not so terribly interested, by the way, in those prayer studies about the people who prayed for the people with the heart conditions and they got better. I think that's interesting but I don't, uh, and I told it to you just because it's an interesting piece of data, but um, it's not what's most important to me about it, Um, because some of them don't get better. Um, (coughs) And some people have prayed, some very good people have prayed very hard for some very important things to happen, and they haven't. What's true for me uh, when I pray, and when I'm really moved to pray for people, is it connects me with how much I love them. Um, and it connects me to how much pain I have about them not being well, or being in some frightening situation. It allows me to be Uh, In touch with how, how I am most it allows me to cherish it helps me really realize how much I cherish that person You know what in the largest sense you tell me This morning when we sat and we said the names we don't do that all the time Maybe every couple of months We do that But then every couple of months when we do it, I think maybe we should do it all the time Maybe not, I'm not sure, but I listen, and it's such an enormous lesson for me. I listened this morning. Those are all real people, so I don't feel so much inclined in a hurry to make a generalization about the first noble truth. They're real people. It doesn't matter for anybody here if that's the person that they named, if it's the first noble truth or the, you know, 65th thought of the, you know, Columbus or something. It doesn't matter what it is. That person is sick and in trouble. But you know, when you listen to all the stuff this morning, there were probably as many things said as there are people here. Maybe some people said two. Maybe everybody said one. Maybe some people didn't say any single thing. But you could have, couldn't you? Everybody here, is there not one single person in the world that you don't, is there anybody here who doesn't know a person in trouble? You know? that, and this morning was a particular diverse liturgy of problems, everything almost, that flesh is heir to, dying on the one end when we we're quite old and uh, giving birth too early to a stillborn child when it hasn't even started its life. And babies born with leukemia and people with every kind of cancer and MS and Parkinson's and autoimmune diseases and addictions and mental illness. So everything that happens to people. When I um, First started to teach Buddha Dharma, which is probably 20 years ago. Began to teach in Dominican College and the students there were uh, lovely. And they were quite young. They were by and large 18 year olds who had gone all through school in uh, Marin County and by and large Catholics, so by and large intact families. Uh, and by and large, well taken care of and reasonably, comfortably, financially. And here I came, and I'm talking and beginning to teach what did the Buddha teach that, that there isn't any way really, you can say about the Buddha's teachings without bringing up the word suffering. Um, and you really need to talk about not just the suffering of uh, greed and hatred and delusion, which is, really what, what Dukkha, the real meaning of Dukkha, the Dukkha Dukkha, the, the, the serious meaning of Dukkha is not that um, everything is subject to decay, but that we struggle so much with it, that we don't have the heart for it, that we don't have the mind that says, you know, this is what happens to human beings. So on top of the pain of being with people who are in trouble, we have the pain of resenting. Mm-hmm that they're in trouble, like it's the wrong thing. And really, that's the meaning of uh, of suffering. It's the extra pain that we bring when we're not able to say, this is what happens in a world. But also, there's a the beginning discussion of, of Dukkha, and the Buddha did mention we come into life, and it's a struggle to get born, and it's a struggle to get grow up, and it's a struggle to grow older, and it's a struggle to take care of yourself and keep yourself alive. and making a living and so here I am trying to tell these young people that life is a struggle and they haven't struggled very much you know Mm. so I bring up about Dukkha and they're blank you know and I can see that I have not made a big impression on them and I felt badly I felt a little bit like the Wicked Witch of the West you know (laughs) come with bad news about uh, uh, don't you remember that in The Wizard of Oz uh, one of the in The Whiz, at least, one of the songs in the musical, The Whiz, is Don't Tell Me No Bad News. And yeah, I felt like I was coming with bad news. Mm-hmm. I had to really scrape to find something that they had struggles with in their life. So did you ever have a girlfriend or a boyfriend that you really loved, and then they, they thought they loved you also, and then they stopped loving you? How would you feel? Oh, then they get it. Okay, <laughs> felt a little bit bad.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: but you feel bad to... Uh, I don't know if 18-year-olds if can study Dharma in any religion. I mean, all the religions have the Dharma. But I don't know if you can study it when you're 18. I don't know if you can be a psychotherapist when you're 23 or 25. I mean, God knows. I started when I was 27. I'm humiliated to think about that. You know, I didn't know nearly enough. I have the sense that we all ought to go out and uh, dig ditches or teach English for the foreign-born or do something where we can't get into too much trouble until we're 45. <laughs> and then maybe we could begin to teach something that involved life skill. um uh, have to have done a little bit of it first. So I was thinking this morning as we were saying the names of all of those people and their relationships to us, I was learning in in the middle of it. I was thinking about, first of all, the sense of how much of a human heart, how much the natural context of the human heart is compassion. Could you feel it in the room as we said one thing or another thing or another thing? You either hear people crying or you feel like crying. It's not even you who spoke, but you feel like crying. Isn't that true? Mm -hmm. That somehow we're connected because we empathically get it, what it feels like to have certain pain in relation to someone we love. You know, I think about it. um, I wonder, i I felt this more with um, I felt this more with my children, I suppose, than with anybody else, but sometimes with my husband, that when they've been sick with something, I think to myself, "I'd rather I had it. I could do it better. You know, <laughs> They don't do this very well, but I could I could do it better. you know, I'd manage. Um, I think we do that. Um, you know, when you think about it in the Tibetan uh, tradition, Tonglin practice, when you first hear about it. Uh, When I first heard about it, it sounded a little gross. You think about, you imagine the pain of the world and the suffering of the world. You imagine it to be how, uh, I see it visually as kind of uh, air polluted uh, with the pain and suffering of the world and you breathe it in and you imagine that you have the heart to purify it and then send it back out in the world the image I had was sort of as a cosmic air conditioner Um, and thinking about the amount of pain in the world. Originally, you think about it and you think, ah, you know, uh, let me not do that. Let me, in fact, get a mask, you know. But I I think really it's not meant literally. I think it's meant to wake you up, wake me up, to the pain in the world, the far end of that being, not that I personally will uplift the whole world, no matter how purified my heart. I personally can't do it, but everybody personally together could do it. What I personally could not do is not do any more meannesses that really what a purified heart would look like. Remember before, before we sat and I was telling you about the early days of um, the mind can do anything where people did all those psychokinetic kinds of tricks and um, making things move at a distance by concentrating. And I was saying, you know, if we had that kind of energy, we could use it to really do something, not... Roll a cigarette off a table or uh, affect the throw of dice, or it must be something more important. But what if what, what we could do more important was absolutely transform our hearts so that we didn't do another unkindness? I like to tell people the story that um, the first uh, mindfulness experience I had was a weekend in uh, San Jose in the spring of 1977 in a private home. And there was a teacher there, and oh, 20 or 25 people came. And um, my husband had had some experience before, and he said, you need to do this. And He had dropped me off there on Friday, and so I'll pick you up on Sunday. And it was so <laughs> uncomfortable. I just was miserable for the whole entire time. It was, it was too crowded. Too hot. I had no clue about what we were doing. We were all sleeping on um, mattresses in two bedrooms, too close together, getting dressed and undressed all together in a room, and I was a little bit shy about that. Um, Nobody told me there wouldn't be any coffees. I had a terrible caffeine withdrawal (laughs) headache. um, The uh, meditation room was a tiny shed, I think it was a reconverted storage shed in the back room and it was hot. And I was really uncomfortable sitting on one of those benches. And at the end of the weekend, I I was counting the minutes until I could get out of there. And um, two months later, I was on a plane going to Canada, uh, going to, uh, Washington State for a 14 day mindfulness retreat. (laughs) And uh, people say to me, (laughs) you know, given that you had such a terrible experience, how could you have been two months later on a plane going to Washington? And really, I'm not sure.
1: (laughs) I tell people I have
0: two clues. One of them is I have a photo. It's uh, up on the wall in my study, it's a little uh, uh, three and a half by five photo, and uh, it's a black and white photo and, uh, of the retreatants on that weekend, so it's kind of like a graduation photo, you know, with three rows of students and the teacher. And I'm sitting at the end of the first row of students, and I'm smiling. So maybe there's something about it that I don't remember. Maybe I had some hopeful intimation of what was possible. But the thing that I remember much more clearly was uh, that in the living room of this house, on the fireplace, on the mantelpiece, they had one of those uh, redwood burls that you buy in uh, state parks, that say, home sweet home, or father knows best, or sisters (laughs) are forever, or one of those things. And this one said, um, life is so difficult, how can we be anything but kind? And I thought to myself, I think I thought to myself, these people must be on to something good. And uh, I think actually that was really my conversion experience, that Redwood Burrow.
1: <laughs>
0: because I feel that way when we announce this morning all of those things that people have. I thought to myself, we're really all of us. If it isn't us, personally, in this moment in pain. Everybody we know, or many people that we know are this moment in pain. You look around and you think, if not now, soon. If not this, the next one. You know? It's kind of like a minefield from now until the end. I mean, we really, these are fragile, these bodies. It's amazing that they last as long as they do. If we think about that, you think about it, on the one hand, they're amazing. It's an amazing thing a body. You think about it you think in order for me to be able to sit here and remember something to tell you, just because it came up, so many neurons have to fire. Billions of neurons have to go in the memory bank and find that and go back and find Jack Schwartz's name from nineteen seventy four and <laughs> Which I'm happy to tell you it did, you know? <laughs> which you get to be happy about, uh, <laughs> which you don't take for granted anymore. <laughs> it seems actually quite heroic, David, when you can do it. <laughs> uh, When you think about it, that you know that the Krebs cycle works for me, or for most of you probably, and for some of you maybe not. You know, some people. Maybe on dialysis and so but for kidneys to work an amazing amount of things have to happen for sugar to get processed your Your, your pancreas has, has to work and your lungs have to work and everything has to work and just to get up in the morning is an amazing thing so when you think about that. It's amazing that you know that these bodies are really extraordinary Not only that they work, but that they remember and that they love that's really extraordinary that we have that particular ability. We have really particular abilities that I wonder about other complex animals, you know? I wonder if they love each other. I wonder if they're proud of each other. You know, I think about that, you know? Um, Animals seem to take care of their young. I have baby quail where I live in Sonoma, and I see that the new baby quail run around with both parents, you know? It's kind of like a line. One of the parents in front, one in the back, and all these baby quail, and they're the you know, and there are several several families and they stay with their family. I can tell because a few they're different days old, they're bigger ones and smaller ones. So there's something innate in our DNA that causes us to stay with our family and be nurtured by them. But I wonder about those parents, do they think, oh, mine are the cutest? (laughs) (laughs) Do they think, uh, personally, these quail are better than those quail over there? (laughs) I think about that. Or do they miss them if one dies? So I think about those kinds of emotions. I think about the things that human beings do. We cry, we laugh, Uh, we make a fuss when people are born, we make a fuss when people die. I think about the fact that we can restrain ourselves. That seems to me to be such an amazing capability, that we can feel like doing something and not do it. I don't think that's... That it's just not universally an animal trait. You know, we go on instinct as animals. And I think about, well, people train dogs and go to dog shows, and the dog feels like getting up, but you say to it, sit, and it sits. So they can overcome that, but they've been uh, rewarded for that and conditioned to that, and they'll be well taken care of uh, and loved, and not only fed, but loved and taken good care of. But I wonder if they'll feel good about themselves, if they'll think to themselves, boy, that was... Really good of me, I restrained myself. I felt like doing that, but i i didn't do it i don 't know about that 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 kind of pleasure at restraint at knowing your impulse system isn't going to run off by itself it 's a great sense of consolation you know it allows you to go in public places and interact with people and uh, know that uh, whatever kinds of impulse you might have you'll keep it together you'll talk about it. Um, So I think about, on the one hand, how extraordinary people are and how fragile life is. When we listen to all these people that are sick, they didn't expect to be. They weren't for a while, and then all of a sudden, they were. And they'll either get better or not. But, you know, I think that, uh, you know this as well as I, that as soon as someone is sick in a really compromised way, their relationship to what's important and your relationship to what's important Changes so much, you know. Whether or not they ate with good table manners, not important to you anymore. Whether or not they practiced the piano or this or that or did whatever it was that you fussed about before. It's like we forget what's important. And maybe one of the things that this is a long, long answer to about how does prayer work. But I think that's how it works. That if we pray together and say, these are the things that are on my heart, actually prayer is instructive. It teaches us how much we love people. And really maybe screws the head on straight again about what's important. And uh, uh, that maybe that's it, what's important, period. That we lose sight of that. We get to think other things are important. I want to talk a little bit today about karma. I want to also invite you to come back on Sunday. We'll talk all day about karma. There's an all-day, uh, day-long workshop here on Sunday that I'll give, the last one this year that I'll do, uh, on equanimity practice. So we'll do, it's a, just a day-long of practice, and we'll practice equanimity reflections and... Uh, Necessarily talk about karma because you have to talk about that with equanimity. And we'll talk about forgiveness a lot because you have to talk about that with equanimity. So you either can sign up in advance or don't sign up and just show up. But pretty sure it's 9 to 4.30 this Sunday.
2: Could I add something to your yeah. comments about self referencing and, and interconnectedness?
3: Please.
2: One of the mysteries Do it loud. Yeah, one of the mysteries to me about interconnectedness is the idea of the observation that we also do in entrainment when we're in certain situations. And from what I've read, I think it was first observed when groups of women got together and their menstrual cycles started coordinating. But it's also observed with meditation. And there's pretty good evidence, it seems to me, that when we're together meditating over a period of time there's some neurological phasing together that begins to happen Mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily intentional Mm -hmm. it's not mindful it just happens Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and to me that's as I said, a mystery Mm -hmm. and a potential Mm -hmm. for human behavior that I don't think we've used much of or understood enough mm-hmm. but it's another way we're interconnected
0: mm-hmm. if I add on to that uh, I, you know, I think maybe this was something of what you meant and I hope it is that when people spend a lot of time together there's a certain ambiance in the room there's a certain shared feeling and then the room gets a certain shared feeling even if no one's in it uh, uh, I went up and sat you know, a little bit up in the meditation room up there this morning. No one's up there. But you feel like there were people in there. there uh, uh, if you go into churches all over the world, there's no one there. But you know that there have been a lot of people there with a lot of open heart space there. And you feel it and you feel held by that in a certain way when we um, when we recite refuges and precepts on the second Wednesday of each month i uh, feel mostly that we are joining a chorus of voices out there reciting all the time was there enough people in the world reciting them that there's surely someone keeping the tune going at all time we're just joining that chorus. I like the sense of vigil. Do you know the the word vigil? People uh, do vigils at shrines where someone is always there minding whatever the holy object is, and they don't leave until someone else comes in. So there's always a perpetual vigil. And I like the idea that there are perpetually people reciting Refuges and Precepts, perpetually people uh, announcing their dedication to this way of living and that that they hold it for me when I forget about it for a while someone else is keeping the tune going and then I join it but I have very much the sense that at any time the whole world could start singing that tune and if it did it would all change from one day to the next I have such a sense of that you know that at any moment if tomorrow morning the whole world got up and said we've been doing it wrong Let's from now on share everything. We don't have to share. I would not have to run to Uruguay to start sharing. I could just start sharing here. And, you know, nobody would have to run across the earth. They could just share locally much more. But the locally edges would blur and everything would get shared. That. Uh, I keep feeling that that's the point of religious practice, that we'll get to recognize. Remember I said before, when we care about somebody, we would take on their burden for them. So I'll do it for you, because I could do it better. I could stand it more. Uh, what if everybody got to look familiar to us? I think it has to do a lot with uh, who's a stranger to us and who's not a stranger, and who gets to look like strangers. when we announce to each other out loud who we care about and who we're worried about. It's a little bit hard to say out the name suddenly, my aunt so-and-so? It's vulnerable, isn't it? It is a little bit. But when you do it, you suddenly become not strange to other people. You become a person who has an Aunt Sophie who's uh, has... Um, kidney cancer or something. So then you're a person with a story. You're real. We make ourselves real to each other if we just all were to suddenly announce the amount of pain on our plates, not even in our personal body, and our personal, well, in our personal mind, maybe not in our personal body. Everybody here today is probably reasonably healthy, so healthy enough to be here. But we all have pain in our mind of what's in our life. We don't tell each other enough. We just keep on going. I had a thought about karma that I wanted you to think about a little bit. Because that line in the uh, equanimity reflection, uh, all individuals are heir to their own karma. It's taken me years. I'm still getting used to it to have a sense of what that means. Because the first time I heard that, the line that normally goes after it their happiness or unhappiness depends on their actions not upon my wishes for them both of them i'm not i don't i don't know if i agree or i feel comfortable with i got comfortable with all individuals are heir to their own karma in this way when i first heard it I thought to myself, it sounded like tough luck. What what you got, you made your bed, you lie in it. That's kind of what it sounds like, isn't it? Like you got what you deserved. And in this newest issue of the Buddhist Peace Fellowship magazine, The Turning Wheel, which I really hope you will subscribe to. First of all, it's a very good magazine. And second of all, supporting uh, Buddhist Peace Fellowship is a very good thing to do. Um it's all about karma. So um there's one of the articles in here where someone was talking about having uh been in an audience somewhere with someone I think not with a sophisticated view of karma talking about um uh a very difficult neighborhood. I think either the neighborhood they were teaching in or the neighborhood next to it, but a neighborhood, a a poor neighborhood of um, African-American community. And the teacher, I think incorrectly, said something about uh, how difficult it was to live there and that people living there must have done something in a former life It's completely wrong on several counts, I think, as the article points out. First, the the person writing the article said, my companion was an African-American woman who immediately, correctly, wanted to leave because the inference is that being born African-American and poor is a punishment. So that's already a major error. (coughs) But the idea that you did something that caused this. What seems so clear to me is that everybody did everything and that everything is everyone's karma. There are different ways that I try to think about this. Um, I have three that come to mind right away. First of all, I think about billiards. Um, you know, we play pool, and uh, uh, if you hit a, a, a ball on a pool table, that you hit a ball that goes down the pool table, hits another ball, but then that ball moves and hits a bunch of other balls that go in all directions that you might or might not have meant to hit, but they just happen to be there in the lines of where you were going. So without an intent, you're not angry at the cue ball. I mean, don't have it in for these other balls that were sitting there quietly and minding their business, so to speak. And I was in Manhattan uh, j- just last winter in New York City, and uh, perhaps I told you this story. It's a tiny little story, but I think to myself, it's one of those karma stories, where I was approaching an intersection. I was approaching 100th Street and West End Avenue. Just after the sun had set, winter time was so probably five thirty or six, and just coming to the corner of West End Avenue, and I heard a big screech on the brakes, uh, a block away. I heard what I heard was a long screech and a thud, and it's the only time I've ever heard that particular sound of a car hitting a person. Never heard that before. It's a terrible sound, you know. You hear a car hitting a car, it sounds a certain way. I knew it was a car hitting a person. And I didn't see it. I just heard it. I was just approaching the corner. I came to the corner. I saw that it was a block away and uh, the car had stopped. It was, it was dark and the sun had set. and uh, But everybody stopped in the street and I could hear doors banging. And a lot of action around the car about a block away. And around me, people on their cell phones more than likely calling 911. And standing there and behind me, family of four people, mother, father, two sons. Youngest sons for eight, older one probably 10. They looked about, I, I judged them from my grandchildren. And the youngest one said, uh, I'm frightened, let's go home. And uh, the next one up, The other boy said, uh, just be happy it didn't happen to us. And uh, the mother said, uh, you see, I told you you should look both ways before you step out into the street. I wish I could reverse the mother and father, because they always make the mother that one and the father. (laughs) The father, the one who says, uh, we'll go home right away, but first I have to make sure that one of these 911 calls got through and that the ambulance is coming. So I'd like to reverse it, but the truth is it happened that other way. So <laughs> what can I tell you? Uh, and I didn't go home either and stood there until all the uh, emergency vehicles came. And the truth is, um, I felt all of those things that all of those people thought. You know, I thought that there's a piece of me, if I was honest, you know, you think, well, it's an eight-year-old thing. There's a piece of me that was frightened. It's a very scary thing to hear a car hit a person and to think I'm about to see a dead person or I witnessed a person dying. It's, it's a scary thing. And there's a part of me that thought, I'm really glad I, you know, there but for the grace of God. I'm one block away, three seconds away. Could have been me. So I, I, I was also happy it wasn't me. And uh, I also thought to myself, and have since been really careful, stepping out into intersections in New York and in other places. I just really got that about, you have to really look where you're going, check. Um, And I really thought about how we need to be looking out for each other and make sure everybody's all right. Everybody's thought I had. And on top of that thought, I had first of all the thought about how vulnerable we all are. You know, we tend to think that we know where we're going. I I was on my way to a friend's house for dinner. I was in a really good mood. I was going to the friend, I, planning what I was gonna do for the evening. I got to go to the friend. This person was also probably planning where they were going, he or she. They weren't just out in the street for nothing. They were on their way somewhere. No doubt going somewhere, probably as looking forward to it as I was, maybe planning a great evening. Maybe their whole life has changed now from that. Maybe they weren't very hurt. Maybe they were very hurt. Maybe they died. I don't know. So I thought about how you never know, number one. You never know and therefore should be no loose ends left over you know that i always think about my friends who knew that they were dying and had weeks or months to tidy up the loose ends of their lives make amends apologize to people make sure that they had squared themselves with everyone and i think to myself we have to do that moment to moment karma cleaning because we don't know what street we're going to step off at any point you know that Like people say, I have to get my portfolio in order or my living will in order. I have to get everything in order, including keeping the karma up to date. Feeling means not having like a moment of leftover. For me, what it means is not having a moment of leftover bad feeling between people. It's always such a pull to do that. Let them stew in their juice a little bit, and then they'll feel bad for having hurt my feelings. <laughs> do you recognize that at all? <laughs> it is so bad, you know? And we just keep, I, and I, you may, none of you do it, but I do it.
1: Uh that
0: were so. I visited one of my daughters yesterday afternoon. I can't believe I'm telling you this. These are grown up people, grown up people with families and young children, lots of them around. And I, I dropped by because I had a little extra time driving down the highway. And I said, well, I was say, you want me to help you pull this laundry? Because there were great heaps of
1: laundry all over the place.
0: Then no, i just leave the laundry where it is. So then I left and I got in the car and I had this huge pang of remorse about having ever so subtly criticized the housekeeping that was going on
1: there.
0: <laughs> so I immediately called on my car phone because it came back to me shades of, I said, well, you remember 20 years ago when you were in college, I was always phoning up and groveling for giving you too many instructions. Well, I'm still doing the same thing. <laughs> phoning up and apologizing for telling you that your laundry should be folded. You fold when you want, you know. <laughs> but um, but I'm glad I felt better after I did it. I'm humiliated that I'm still doing that, but I felt better after I did it. Would that be the worst that I do? If laundry were the worst that I did, that would be good. I do worse than that, but but I really think that that's what happens to me when we sit here in the morning and mention how many ills flesh is heir to. I forgot that people have Parkinson's until somebody mentioned it, and then I realized how many people I know have Parkinson's. This one is struggling and that one's struggling. The other one's struggling and this one recently died and it's a bad illness. And then I forget about something else until somebody else mentions. So part of part of the cue ball, the, the billiards is, if you mention and it joggles a piece of my mind, that's a way of thinking about Uh, I am part of, the the, the karma gets spread around like if you mention someone and I remember that person and I remember that I haven't visited them in a while and I should and I do it, then you are part of my karma um, of rectifying, helping me to rectify some piece of my heart work. And then if I go visit this person, With the Parkinson's and they feel better, then we have all shared, so to speak, in the merit of that karma. Because in order for me to do it, somebody had to say it, which had to juggle my mind, which had to remember. So, you know, the karma works, and I I say those too, because I was thinking of the you don't know which balls are going to be in the way of what, you don't know what body is going to be in the way of what car at what time. If I'd been an inch more, you know, uh, two seconds sooner into the crosswalk or the taxi two seconds sooner. You don't know what's gonna bounce off what. So I don't think of karma as linear, as this happened to that, happened to that, happened to that, in a constant singular view. I think everything happens to everything and a lot of it neutral. You know that some of it is volitional action that really has a bad intent to it. But uh, some of it has good intent and comes out with a, um, maybe a not such a good result. You don't know uh, because of the ways that things bounce off. You can't tell. Do you remember last winter at some point, I think it was, I told you the story about the Max's Cafe. Do you remember that story? Yeah. Nobody remembers it? Because it, it keeps on. Un- tell me if you know it, then we'll tell it again. Huh? Okay, just Joe. <laughs> and
1: thank God for Joe. Yeah, yeah, no, no,
0: that's good because then I can tell it to you again because I don't because I I really wanted to say something about you don't know what's bad and what's good really sometimes. I was having supper in Max's late uh, one night with my friend Martha, and I went to the ladies' room, was washing my hands, and looking in the mirror. You know, you do that when you wash your hands, and. Uh, Next to me, you can see in the mirror. I remember the story. <laughs> remember the story? There is, I don't know if that's good or not good, Rose. Because uh, <laughs> now I am launched into it, and everybody gets to hear it. And a woman was uh, undoing her hair tie in the back. She had very tight pullback hair style. And she must have been loosening the, the fastening on it. And she shook her head, and out came this huge head, of beautiful you know, Farrah Fawcett. Charlie's Angel's hair, beautiful hair, and I said, oh, you have beautiful hair, and she said, well, if it makes you any happier, I'm very unhappy. (laughs) And she went out, and I thought, you know,
1: that's not so nice, you know, I
0: I meant that in a good intention, you know, It, it was well intended do I look like the sort of person that would be happier if I knew that she was unhappy? Like cast an aspersion on me. So I got a little annoyed. So I I went out and I told Martha about it because I knew she'd get annoyed and she got annoyed. (laughs) (laughs) Spreading around the annoyance. (laughs) And then I felt all of a sudden bad because all of a sudden I realized uh, that I Now I've made a, a few mistakes. First of all, I'd gotten riled up. How do I know what kind of a mind state that woman was in when I was talking to her? And now I've riled up Martha also and gotten her mind state all in a flurry. And uh, I upset that woman as well and probably told Martha because I knew I'd upset the woman. I probably felt guilty and I thought I'd maybe feel better. Now I felt worse. So I was looking around Maxis to see if I could find her, but I was thinking, can I go and apologize, excuse me? You know, because you think to yourself, I said, we're talking to Martha. I said, look, I have no idea about the mind state I spoke into. I could have, you know, maybe she just that day had lost her job or just that minute had uh, had a glass of wine after 10 years of sobriety or just that minute her person that she was with said, I don't love you anymore. You know, I have no idea what mind state I was talking into. So we decided that we should do some metta practice. We should, should, wherever you are, I looked around. It'd be too embarrassing to come around and apologize anyway, and I didn't see her. But we thought, okay, then we'll do some metta for her, okay. But then I thought about it, I came back here, I told that story a number of times, that's why Joe remembers it and Rose remembers it. uh, Because we talked about, should you not talk to people in Public restrooms, or should you <laughs> should you not tell people they look beautiful if you suddenly are spontaneously moved to do that? And everybody said, "No, no, you should tell." You know, if your intention is well intended, you don't know if it's going to come out bad. Uh, so all you know is your own intention. And then a couple of weeks later, I was teaching about it in another place, and my friend Jonathan was there, and he said, "You know, I think you're missing a piece of the story." He said, "The thing is." You don't know if it came out bad. You don't if it was a bad thing to do. He said, You don't know about whether two months hence this very woman be standing and combing her hair by a mirror, uh, in a different mood, and looks at herself in the mirror and is then able to say to herself, You know, I have beautiful hair. Mm-hmm. You know, a person in the ladies room and Max's that I don't even know. once told me that I have really beautiful hair and maybe she'll feel good about it at the time. So the thing is, you don't know if what you're doing is a good thing or a bad thing. It's a thing thing, but, but you maybe know about your intention. So that's a piece of karma discussion and intention. You know that maybe, maybe our intention could be a neutral intention. I think no, all um, all action is volitional. That didn't feel volitional. It felt pff, uh, spontaneous. And really, the question is, do we want to like go through everything? Hmm. I feel like telling this woman her hair is beautiful now. <laughs> Should I do it? Should I think this, or this, or this, or this? You know, we live in a fairly spontaneous culture. It's not considered bad manners to speak to people in public places. I think, uh, Miriam.
3: I had an experience uh, last week. I've been feeling very, very scattered. And I went shopping, and I didn't realize I'd lost my checkbook. And I got home, and I had a phone call, uh, and this woman said she'd found my checkbook. And I really was very delighted that she called me, and she gave me her phone number. And I called her, and she didn't have an answering machine, and I was, like, really frustrated because I really wanted to get my checkbook. And then the doorbell rang, and she came to my house to deliver this checkbook. And I was just so delighted. I, and so, and then she gave me a hug.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and it was
3: just, I mean, truly a random act of kindness. And I was so um, taken with it, I I didn't know what to do. I just said, well, I just want to bless you. Mm -hmm. And she said, thank you, and she left. (laughs) And I said to my husband, well, maybe I should have given her something. You know, maybe I I, I didn't feel complete. I really didn't feel complete, and I, I didn't know what to do or to say, and I didn't say anything. And the next day we were leaving on a trip. This happened last week, and I decided I was going to go and get her a pot of flowers. I was going to take it to her house. And I looked in the phone book, and I found her address, and I went, and I didn't say anything to my husband, and I went, and she lived way on the other side of town, way along. I didn't think it was such a long distance, and we had to go get a plane.
1: But I I went, and I I
3: got these beautiful flowers, and it was like 7.30 in the morning, and I knocked on her door, and she wasn't home. And so I I had written her a note and saying thank you for the checkbook and i give you my blessing. So I left the pot of flowers on her doorstep and I left and I I felt really good because it was a pure act. I Mm -hmm. didn't have anyone saying thank you Mm -hmm. and I didn't even come home and tell anyone about it. This is Mm -hmm. the first time I've said anything to Mm -hmm. anyone about it. And I came home from this trip the other day and I got a phone call saying, thank you so much for the flowers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She said, I was home, I was next door, taking care of my mother, who was very ill. Mm-hmm. And when I came back and saw the flowers on the doorstep, I was very happy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that was a truly, like, a very unusual experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this maybe would balance the hair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> I just want to tag on to that story. I had an opportunity to return a wallet to someone. I was in a meeting place and, and there was this wallet. And I opened it up and saw the person's name and, and address and started to look in the phone book under um, her married name and there was no listing, but there was one. I thought, well, her, her middle name's here and I think that's her maiden name. And she was listed that way and I called her up and I said, I have your wallet, I'd like to bring it back. And she said, oh, my God, I just realized that I'd left it in this place last night. Oh, my God, that's so wonderful. And I took it back to her. And it was perfectly fine with me that she didn't say, can I give you something? Or, you know, her, her being grateful was, that was plenty, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and And I guess I hope that when we do those things, that then if we lose a wallet, there will be some
5: responsible person who will find it. You, know? you never know. Um, listening to you tell the story, I, I think about how I used to eliminate whether I was being compassionate or codependent, mm-hmm. and but it was it was constantly not letting go of the attachment to the outcome. Is what I'm doing going to work? Is it right? Is it really helping or is it really hurting? And when we talk about prayer, I think of the same thing. Am I praying or am I wishing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because mm-hmm. I found when you said your prayer didn't work, and I thought, it has. You're here. Mm. You're with compassionate people, you're working through this. The spirit of your friend felt with prayer. Um, there was so much that came and, and I learned, and I remember the Dalai Lama said this one beneath, right? No, he's right and <laughs> Uh, join, and I'm going to say it wrong, and I know you guys will probably know what it is. Like, j- join me in the not knowing. Uh, just go with the flow. You know, let it, just see how it all works out. And I have this great therapist who whenever I'm just like, like what should I do? She says, oh, just chant Tara. And, and I think, right, yeah, <laughs> that'll help. And it does. (laughs) You know, I I mean, honestly, I chanted tar because my nephew who I was trying to save from going to Judy Hall, and I knew if I got into this school, the Nawa Academy, where they were nurturing and wonderful, getting away from his parents, and I thought, he didn't want to go, and then I told him (laughs) it was snowboarding, and he could go this weekend, and he said, but I don't have shoes. And I said, that's no problem. I will get you shoes. I will get you shoes. And so I hung up, and then I called back and I said, what size? And he said, 16 i thought no problem until i called <laughs> you know that's what like shaquille o'neal wears <laughs> <laughs> so i just chanted tara and so i called redding because this place is right by redding and i called like big five and they said oh it would take us three weeks i said no you don't understand i told him to take care of it i have to have it mm-hmm. now who should i call And i said Well, we have a sporting goods here maybe this guy i called him day at the Redding Sports Shop, but he he'll verify this, this is not a lot. I said, I need size 16 snow shoes. He said, oh, that's going to be hard. He said, let me see what I can do. Five minutes later, he called me back and he said my old boss had custom-made size 16 snowboard shoes but he only wore once, and I'll say, for for $200. Yeah. And so I told him about the stock that will make him a lot of money. Right, <laughs> then, I'll, I'll it. It's called Reefer, and you'll notice my license plate says, go so, Reefer. And everybody really up here it gives me the high sense. <laughs>
1: I'm serious, it will,
5: it will, and I gave it to him and he's all excited because I'm, what I'm doing is I'm starting little foundations of Christmas stuff, so to make a long story even longer, <laughs> that's what my blessing would be to you, is life works, mm-hmm. it just works, it's just there, it's just if you let go and shut up and turn the volume down on yourself, and yeah, that's why I came here today, because I was so worried about me. I said, oh, i just got to go be with people who aren't Republican. I, <laughs> <laughs> I just want to thank everybody for the blessing. you've all given me today. You have no idea <laughs> how good it is to know how lucky I am.
1: Uh, <laughs>
0: So I'm very glad we're all here, really. (laughs) Um, You know, it's one of the things about. uh, I'm actually quite happy that we're ending uh, our time together here, laughing together, because I think that those are the things that human beings can do. We can cry and we can laugh, and um, and we can do them both in the same space. Pretty much, Uh, we're really talking about what equanimity is about. I used to think. Uh, I, I I think I had the wrong idea about, I know I had the wrong idea about equanimity when um, I was beginning to practice and I thought it was the kind of being able to flow through your life somehow uh, of it but not actually of it, somehow not touched by it over it or something or under it. or. Um, So on the one hand, I hoped that I would not be so overwhelmed by life as I had been before, and on the other hand, I was afraid that I wouldn't be, that I would afraid I'd come out somehow zombied out. And um, um, I remember, uh, I I, I guess I was thinking about that, um, I was still thinking about it a little bit, because this now has to be 15, 14, almost well, coming on 15 years ago, when uh, uh, one, of, one of my friends was with me and the phone rang, and uh, uh, one of my daughters was calling to see, Are you free tonight for dinner? And I said, No. Sure, you're not free for dinner, no. You and Dad don't want to join us for dinner now. I wish I could, but we're not free. said, uh, Don't want to celebrate that you're going to be a grandparent. <laughs> and. Uh, um, I was completely hysterical. and I put down the phone and have a fit of hysterics. Say, just hold on. <laughs> hysterical. And I was very reassuring <laughs> to find that uh, balance of mind is, which is really what upeka means. Equanimity means upeka. It means large space balance of mind. It does not mean even keel. It means large. Sp- it means balance of mind. Everything fits in, including incredible jubilation and tremendous pain, um, and uh, and the heart to do both of them. Uh, I mean, some of the great poetry about suffering is, do not be afraid of the pain of the world, that the heart is as wide as the world and can hold it. And then, in fact, uh, it can do a tremendous hallelujah. Um, I think that that's the, the point of uh, equanimity. So I, again, one of the things that, uh, we're out of time, so I won't talk about it today, but I would have talked about, um, I like what you had to say anyway, so it's better than just hearing me. I'll tell you about the, the the billiards, how everything bounces off everybody else. And the, the, uh, the piece of history that goes with it is that, um, it picks up my mood when I think, um, "Why is this happening to me?" Uh, which is a mistake of thinking. Why? Why me? Is completely a mistake. It's you know, why not me? Mm-hmm. Everything happens to everybody, and quite apart from, I don't deserve it. I'm, I'm, I'm really quite convinced that karma has nothing to do with deserving. It's neither a punishment nor a reward. I think about. Um, Well, here, I think about Marco Polo. Marco Polo is a part of my karma. Marco Polo, I don't know a lot about him, but he established trade routes from uh, Europe over into the Orient. Okay, so I think about Marco Polo being a part of my karma because those trade routes altered the economic situation of Europe, which over some centuries continued to alter to the point where there were mass migrations of certain groups of people in Europe because it was no longer economically feasible, viable for them to stay there. Uh, Those groups all made migrations at certain times. Had Marco Polo not done what he did, history of Europe would be different. Maybe the migration patterns would be different. In order for me to be here now, the migrations had to happen when they happened. They have to have included My parents and grandparents, they have to have come at certain times in order to meet each other. They have to also have liked each other, at least enough in in my case, to produce at least one child. Um, And for that to have happened... Think about the people who had to like each other, at least for some short period of time. <laughs> A lot of people had to like each other for some short period of time, between Marco Polo and me.
1: <laughs>
0: well enough to produce people who produce people who produce people who produce people, so that I end up here now, and I had to, and everything in my life had to happen just the way it did. I had to cross every street a second before or a second after any accident that happened there. Everything that, every accident that I wasn't in up to now is part of my karma. So all of the drivers that so far have not hit me with a car are part of my karma and I have theirs. And it's all like a monumental billiards game, everything bouncing off everybody. And nobody not implied every single thing that happened if you think about your own life you would not be here but for x or y or z or z or Z. every single time somebody told me a story at the end of last week about they might be here today about having uh, met their husband uh waiting on a train station uh, outside of new york city to go home after a class and uh, at night not very many people on the train person spoke to them, they soon got married. And it's 15 years ago, so it's apparently working. So you think, what if they had stayed five minutes after class? They would have had a whole other life. And each of us, every single time, we turned left or we turned right. We wrote the whole new life for ourselves. We got on this bus or that airplane rather than this bus or that airplane. We are doing it all the time. Every time we think, what if? Or if only, if only I had taken up with so-and-so and and not so-and-so, my whole life would have been different. Well, it would have, but you don't know how. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the thing. Normally when we think those if-only thoughts, we're thinking, well, if only I had chosen this partner rather than this partner, I would have had a much better life. I have no idea. All you would have known is you would have had another partner. But you have no idea of what would have happened with that life. But it's not just such a we, I I think we tend to think of it in terms of the big deals, like which career or which partner or which part of the country we live in. It's really, did I turn left or turn right? Did I stay five minutes after class? Did I step out into West End Avenue one second earlier or one second later? Every minute we read.